morning. We got off to a rocky start, but, but we'll land this plane, don't worry. Uh, we are in Galatians chapter 4 this morning, and uh, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles there. As I said to the children, we have been uh, emphasizing the fact that God sent his son with a message. And because God sent his son, we should listen even more attentively to that message that was given. Last week we talked about how in times past God spoke in in divers ways. In uh, Hebrews chapter 1 it says, that uh, God spoke in various ways, various times uh, to the uh, fathers by the prophets, but in these last days has spoken to us by his Son, who, by whom he made all things. And so we are to listen to Jesus because he's greater than any prophet. He's greater than the angels. He, in fact, is the Son of God. Today we want to focus on the fact not only do we need to listen to his message, But not only was he sent with a message, but he was also sent with a task. And that task is to save us. And as we think of God sending his son in the person of the Lord Jesus, we have an individual who is at one and the same time fully God and fully human. His humanity does not make him any less God than God the Father. He's not a lesser God. He's not an inferior God. He is a God that shares all the same attributes as God the Father. And his deity does not make him any less a human being than anyone else who is born of a woman. He shares the same attributes, the same qualities that we have as human beings. At one and the same time, fully God, fully man, but yet without a sinful nature and without sin. So as we look at Galatians 4, 4 and 5, we want to focus on two thoughts. First, how did God send his son? How did God send his son? And our passage answers that with actually two thoughts. First, He sent his son by being born of a woman. And being born of a woman speaks to Jesus' full and complete humanity. God sending his son speaks of his deity. The son is the pre-incarnate, meaning before the flesh, son of God. Whoever existed with the father. When you think of God the Son, think of the second person of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so, this Son of God, who existed from all eternity past, the one that's described in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And all things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And life was the light of men. So he is the one who created all things. He is the one who existed with the Father 
from all eternity past. God the Son. And John 1.14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. The glory as of the only begotten Son of God, full of grace and truth. He took upon Himself flesh. And it is this taking upon Himself flesh that is referred to when it says that He was born of a woman. Born of a woman. God taking upon Himself, in addition to His deity, humanity. It's important to realize that the Son of God didn't just take on the appearance of a human being. He doesn't just look like a human being. He actually is a human being. In the Old Testament, the angels from time to time took upon themselves appearance of human beings. And uh, we could look at a number of passages this morning, but one that comes to mind is when uh, the men that were sent from God, they were in fact angels, that told Abraham about the fact that um, the city of Sodom and Gomorrah were going to be destroyed. And an angel actually uh, grabbed hold of Lot and let him out of the city. They were angels. They looked like men. They had the appearance of men. But they weren't men. They were angels. The Son of God is not an angel. And the Son of God is not one that took upon himself an appearance of a human being, having a a body and looking like mankind. He is truly man. He's truly man. And the Word of God says there's one mediator between God and man, and that is the man, Christ Jesus. And so this being born of a woman is described in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. You don't need to uh, turn there. But we have a miraculous conception. A miraculous conception. Mary's conceiving Jesus is a miracle. Luke chapter 1 says this, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin, engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Hail, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I am a virgin? Since she had never had sexual relationships with anyone. How can this be? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. 
And for that reason, the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. So the conception was absolutely unique. Like no other conception ever in history or ever will be repeated. Absolutely unique. But in his humanity, there is where the uniqueness ends. For then on, from the moment of conception on, Jesus is fully man and fully God. And so, Mary even has a normal or typical pregnancy, if you will. In Luke chapter 2, verse 4, it says, And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because she was the house and family of David, in order to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. And it came about, it came about that while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. Those words, that statement, that the days were completed, that she should give birth. She carried the baby Jesus for nine months in her womb. She had a typical pregnancy. For he was fully man. Fully man. And then the second way that he's described in this text is that he came not only being born of a woman, but secondly being born under the law. That is, the Son of God took upon him self-humanity and as a result had to fulfill the requirements of the law of God. Being born as a human being, he now as a human being was subjected to all of the commands of the Father. And of course, Jesus said that he came to do the will of the Father and he delighted in doing the will of the Father. Jesus said to the Jewish leaders, Matthew 5, 17, Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Until all is accomplished. Jesus fully obeyed the law of God. Even at Jesus' birth, his parents observed the law in caring for Jesus. Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. There are a number of Old Testament references 
in this passage that uh, I'm not going to, to go to, but I'm going to highlight the fact of Mary and Joseph's obedience to the law of God as it relates to the rearing of Jesus. Luke 2.22 And when the days for their purification according to the law of Moses were completed, there are strict rules about a, a woman giving birth and uh, the amount of time that she would be unclean after having given birth, and uh, especially having given birth to a, a male child. Those days were accomplished. They were fulfilled. They were observed. Uh, she practiced uh, that uh, ritual, that rite of separation and purification. And so, when the days for her purification for the law of Moses were completed, they, that is Mary and Joseph, brought up to Jerusalem, uh, Jesus, to present him to the Lord. Uh, excuse, uh, uh, right, to present to the Lord, to God. As is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Actually, there were a number of different sacrifices that could be offered. And uh, they depended upon one's ability, uh, one's wealth, uh, as to what sacrifice was going to be given. Mary and Joseph were extremely poor. And so they came offering the cheapest sacrifice. Not because they didn't think Jesus was worthy. And not because they were stingy. And not because they were reluctant to fulfill the law of God. But simply because they were living in very humble circumstances. And they brought the sacrifice. Luke 2.25 And behold, there was a man in the uh, Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him, the custom of the law. Now verse 39. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own city of Nazareth. He was born under the law. And from day one of his birth, the law of God was observed by Jesus and by his parents. He was born under that system. And they functioned under that system. And Luke 2.40 says, And the child continued to grow and became strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. The next time we see Jesus, he's 12 years of age. We find him in the temple. We find him observing the feast. We see him in relationship to the law of God. He fully obeyed every aspect of the law. At all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So, why did God send his son? The answer comes in verse 5. To redeem those who are under the law. The son of God took upon himself 
humanity and submitted himself to the law of God in order to pay for the sins of his people. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus. He came to be a mediator. To be the reconciling agent between God and a fallen humanity. And in order for that to take place, it meant he had to be a human being. He had to be like us. He had to live in obedience where we failed in that obedience. So positively, he kept all aspects of the law. And negatively, he took upon himself our punishment, which is emphasized in that word redemption. Redemption. Colossians 1.14 says, In whom, that is Christ, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Whenever the Word of God talks about redemption, it always talks about forgiveness of sins. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through, through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God he passed over the sins previously committed. So, in the book of Galatians, if you turn back with me there again, in Galatians, And particularly in Galatians chapter 3. Starting with verse 21. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? May it never be. For if the law had been given which was able to impart life, then the righteousness would indeed have been based on law. But the scripture has shut up everyone under sin so as the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. The Bible says that the law that was given, the, the Ten Commandments, the Mosaic Law, was not given as a way for us to be saved. It was given to us in order to bring us to Jesus Christ. We were to learn two things from the law of God. First is our sinfulness. We were to learn from the law that all had sinned. That sacrifices had to be offered. That there had to be uh, forgiveness sought as a result of the sins that we committed. And then the whole sacrificial system pointed 
to Jesus Christ and the coming Messiah and the one that would die for his people. And I can't go into all the sacrificial system this morning, but let me just talk about one aspect. Because Romans 3 talks about Jesus being a propitiation for our sins. That word propitiation is an extremely important word. The Greek word propitiation literally means mercy seat. Mercy seat. And many of you children on Wednesday nights were working on the tabernacle. How many of you here this morning worked on the tabernacle on Wednesday nights? Yeah, okay. Slowly putting up your hands. Yes. And if you remember, one of the things associated with the tabernacle was the mercy seat. It was placed on the top of the Ark of the Covenant. And if you remember, in the Ark, what was placed there? The Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments. Because it was the Ark which held the covenant. The Ten Commandments. And on top of that Ark, it was called a mercy seat. There was a a top to that Ark where once a year, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest, after offering sacrifices for sin, would carry in some of the blood from those sacrifices and place it on the top of that ark, signifying the covering of sins that mankind had experienced from breaking the Ten Commandments. That was all to picture the work of Jesus Christ. And so, Romans says... That God set him forth to be a propitiation for our sins. The mercy seat. Jesus is the place where God's wrath and God's mercy meet. Where God's justice and grace come together. In the person of Jesus Christ, he bears our sin. And so Hebrews says that Jesus entered into the holiest of holies, not made with hands, but the real holiness of holies, in the presence of God with his own shed blood. He is our redemption. He is the one who makes up for our breaking God's law, breaking the Ten Commandments. The second reason that is given in the text for his coming is so that we might receive the adoption as sons. Notice verse 5. In order that he might redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Jesus is the true Son of God. We, by believing in Jesus Christ, can be the adopted sons of God. John 1.12 says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Again, this is accomplished through redemption. Listen to Ephesians 1.5 and following. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, 
which he freely bestowed on us in the Beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. So we become the adopted sons of God. Notice Galatians uh, 3.26. Galatians 3.26. For you all are sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus, in order that he might redeem those who are under the law. Galatians 4, 4 and 5 again. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, born a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Notice verse 6. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. An heir through God. One having an inheritance. We are part of God's family. We are part of God's family. No longer a slave, but now having the status of a family member, the status of a son. Now, if I can just go off on a a tangent this morning, but I think it's a significant tangent. And that is, some want to translate, and and some are translating this passage and and other passages in the Scriptures in a gender-neutral fashion. Uh, So, uh, instead of referring to uh, a son they might translate it as a child, so that you might become a child of God. But in doing so, they mask a very, very important lesson. And that is that this is not a general neutral statement. It is intended to be masculine. It is intended to be male. But look with me at Genesis 3.28. Genesis 3.28. These arguments run throughout the entire book of Galatians. I can't exceed the whole book of Galatians this morning, but I want you to focus on Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. Notice the next phrase, heirs according to promise. What you need to understand is that in the New Testament culture, in the New Testament culture, The only children that received an inheritance were male children. Daughters didn't receive an inheritance. They were to get married and they were to have a family and and they would share in the blessings of their uh, husbands. 
But the sons would carry on the father's name, and they were given an inheritance. What Galatians 3.28 is saying, in the sight of God, there's no difference between male and female. doesn't matter if you're male or female. doesn't matter if you are a slave or a free person. If you belong to Christ, you are an heir. You are treated like a son. With all the rights and privileges. Ladies, this is not a slap in your face. This is saying in God's economy, you have equal standing. You have equal position. You share the same inheritance. You have the forgiveness of sins. You have the blessings of eternity. You are going to be in the presence of God forever and ever. You are treated like God's Son. And not only are you treated like God's son, but you are treated like the firstborn son. You are actually treated like Jesus is treated. And that's why it says joint heirs. Joint heirs. Inheriting all that Jesus inherits. United by him in faith. Here's the mind-boggling statement to me. Hebrews 2.11 Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers. And again, That's not gender neutral, and it's not intended to be gender neutral. Because the lesson is that Jesus treats us all as worthy of sharing in his inheritance and his blessings. We're all his brothers. We're all his sons in that culture of the day. Fully Accepted by the Father and by the Son. Jesus was willing to take us on. There's a Bible story. You're probably most of you are familiar with the, the book of Ruth. And if you remember, there's a kinsman redeemer, Boaz. But there is one that is a closer kinsman redeemer than Boaz. And so Boaz approaches him and uh, asks if he wants to, to redeem Ruth. And if you remember, the closer kinsman redeemer does not want to because it's going to mar his inheritance. He doesn't want to share the inheritance that his sons are going to have with Ruth's children. He doesn't want to share that inheritance. And so he refuses to be the kinsman redeemer. I'm not going into all the theological baggage that's associated with that. Keep in mind redeemer. And keep in mind the lesson sent to redeem us from the law. 
Jesus was not afraid of marring his inheritance. He was not selfish. He was willing to share it with us. And that means the prestige. That means the honor. That means the glory. That means the joy, the delight, the fellowship with the Father. Every aspect of Jesus' standing with the Father is our standing with the Father. You see, He did much more, much more than simply forgive us our sins. He brought us into a totally unique relationship with God. One that was even better than Adam's before the fall. Where we are called the children of God. And so this morning as we think about the Christmas message, think also about the Christmas task. Jesus coming into this world in order to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive the adoption of sons. In order to do that, he had to be born of a woman. He had to be a, a human being. And he had to pay the penalty for the sins that were under the law. And then he obtained for us an inheritance that we share in the risen victory of the Lord Jesus Christ. All the blessings, all the honor, all the praise that goes along with that. And just as I asked the children this morning, I ask you. And there could be no more pertinent question than this. Have you ever received Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you accepted the redeeming work of Jesus Christ? Have you ever gotten to a place where you said, I'm a sinner. I need forgiveness. The only place where forgiveness can come is through Jesus Christ. Galatians says, if it were possible for the law to take away sins, then Jesus never would have come. Know by Jesus' death that there is absolutely no other way to be in a right relationship with God. And so I ask you, have you ever confessed your sin, acknowledged your sinfulness, and asked God to forgive you on the basis of of what Jesus Christ has done. If you have, you move into a unique and precious relationship with God. You are not just a child. You are His Son. With all the blessings of the inheritance that Jesus Christ has won for us. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You for Your Word and we just ask for your, your grace to help us. Help us to understand uh, what are some complicated things, but yet uh, the ultimate application is quite simple. And that is that every single one of us needs a Savior. And I thank you for the many in this room who have, who have already professed faith in Jesus Christ. And if there's just one person this morning, a child, anyone, that has never prayed and asked God to forgive them for their sins, based on what Jesus Christ has done. May today be the day when they place their faith and trust in you. While you still have your eyes closed and heads bowed, is there anyone this morning who says, I want to accept Jesus as my Savior? Would you quickly just raise your hand? I want to pray for you, not by name, but uh, I do want to pray. Is there anyone at all this morning? Please raise it high enough so I can see it. That You want to accept Jesus as your Savior. Anyone this morning? Okay, let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your grace and your goodness. Thank you for the redeeming work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that through him we can become joint heirs with Jesus Christ.
Lord, may we never seek to marvel that Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers. Equal with him. Oh, Lord, help us when sometimes we are ashamed of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Or worse still, when we are ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, may we realize the great truth that Jesus is not ashamed of us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.